Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest and my new friend, Teresa Unterstall. She is a writer, an advocate, a speaker, and a consultant who specializes in the dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. She is the author of a newly published book called A New Course, A Mother's Journey, Navigating Down Syndrome and Autism. Teresa has contributed articles to The Mighty, along with several Down syndrome support groups across the country. In addition, she has been writing a weekly blog about her son, Nick, who has Down syndrome and autism. And Teresa has been a presenter for NDSS and a guest lecturer and advocate at Northern Illinois University and Aurora University. She holds a bachelor's degree in kinesiology and health education from the University of Texas and has been working in the fitness field for more than 35 years. Teresa and her husband, Al, have two sons, Hank and Nick, and she lives in the Chicago area. She is a phenomenal woman and a wonderful advocate for all kids with disabilities and special needs, and I'm so excited to present my conversation with Teresa. Today's special guest on Living the Sky Life is Teresa Unterstall. We actually connected through a mutual friend, um, one of the girls I went to high school with, um, said you absolutely have got to meet Teresa. She is a new author and has quite a um, world of experience to share. So I'm so excited that she agreed to be on the podcast. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I love having new friends. <laughs> I'm expanding my village. I feel like every time I, I'm introduced to somebody as phenomenal as you. So I want to um, first and foremost congratulate you on being a new author, um, your book was just published last month. Is that correct? Correct. On Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> well, that's a great day for it. Um, your uh, memoir is entitled um, A New Course, and it documents your journey navigating both Down syndrome and autism. Um, so I, I want to dive right in and have you tell the listeners a little bit about your amazing son, Nick, um, and his just all of his diagnosis and how all of that came to be. Um, your book is phenomenal and I highly encourage everyone, I will say it multiple times throughout this taping, to um, get a hold of that book and read it. It is wonderful. So Teresa, I'll let you take it away. You bet, thank you. Thank you for the accolades on the book. It's, so, it's uh, great. <laughs> so yes, uh, yeah, so the title is A New Course, A Mother's Journey Navigating Down Syndrome and Autism. So Nick is 26 years old. He has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. He was uh, diagnosed, got a birth diagnosis of Down syndrome. And then as he, we progressed through a few years and his speech was a little delayed and there were some sensory red flags that were popping up. We had him evaluated for autism at age five, I believe it was. 
And at that time, they did not put him on the spectrum. They said, well, he's making great eye contact. He's highly social. He's got some sensory issues and he has apraxia of speech. So that, that was the determination at the time. So about a few years later, he was 11 years old. We decided that it was indeed time to revisit um, and, and get another opinion on that uh, diagnosis of autism, which at that point he was put on the spectrum. And I kind of knew that he, at that point, you, ju you just know as a mom. In what, and I remember you mentioning in the book, um, I think some of the things that triggered your concern about there being multiple diagnosis, and I don't know if he had the apraxia, apraxia diagnosis at the time or sensory processing disorder, but um, he, a lot of the families that you were acquaintances with um, that had children with Down syndrome, they seemed to be progressing a little bit faster with some of their therapies and, and hitting milestones. Um, and you were frustrated, obviously, as a concerned mom that he wasn't moving along as fast. So was that kind of the trigger for you that something else was maybe happening? Indeed, that in part, but also he did not, uh, let's say they had uh, play groups or after school groups. It didn't seem like he was engaging with the other, his peers that had, had, had Down syndrome as much as you know they were. Mm -hmm. that, that sort of was a, another red flag. Now, I will say that, and I've heard this multiple times from parents over the years, that they feel like uh, their child engages better with adults. So I, I don't know. I don't have anything to research document that, but I just think uh -huh. that's interesting that, you know, he was definitely more engaging with adults than his peers. And by engaging, do you mean that he just preferred to, if there was a, a group of, of killed kids in your house, like maybe some of the youth ministry that you had over, he would prefer to be with the adults versus the kids instead of playing, you know, with any of the things they wanted to play with? S somewhat, yes. Uh, I, like I said, I, I noticed it more when we were at um, the after school programs that, that they, mm -hmm. they had some developmental therapy programs he would do. And he was not, he was probably more apt to um, engage with the the facilitators rather than the, his peers. Interesting. Is he still like that now that he's an adult? He, you know, well, yeah, now that he's an adult, you know, I, I honestly, when he got into um, to elementary school, he was in full inclusion for first grade through fifth grade. And that's one of the benefits of being an inclusion that he did actually start interacting more. And a lot of the always, laugh at how a lot of the girls kind of took Nick under their wing and and really helped him to model appropriate behavior. So during that time, I would say he was more engaging with his peers because of that experience being in an inclusion classroom. Well, that's good. And, and you know, and I, I know you were a huge advocate in his IEPs and things like that of kind of changing the way that the school you know, gave him the opportunities. They weren't going to give him a lot of opportunities and and put him in the, the appropriate classrooms or the appropriate places. So, um, you know, kudos to you and to every parent who fights really hard for those things. You just don't want to waste any time. Yes, absolutely. I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, honest, I honestly think a lot of it, it depends on some of the school districts are a little more receptive to that and had mm -hmm. the had the um have the staff in place to know how to make inclusion work i think that's a, a really 
key point to consider because when I do a lot of consulting, um, I, I do a lot of consulting for a Down syndrome group in California. Many of the parents are frustrated because they feel like the staff doesn't know how to support their student in an inclusion environment. So that's something I'd like to see across the board, you know, everybody do a better job at, or, you know, getting training, if you will. Now, do you consult for families or do you consult with um, school corporations and organizations or a little bit of both? Mostly families at this point. Okay. Do you attend IEPs with them and, and things like that? Or do you just prepare them for, you know, asking the right questions? I prepare them. Yes. <laughs> and also, uh, I could see now that we're all zooming here and there. I could see, mm -hmm. you know, being more of an active part now that we're all getting a little more comfortable here doing this, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we need so much more of what you're doing on, in all aspects of special needs, having an advocate for parents, especially people with, you know, families with younger children who are maybe experiencing an IEP for the very first time. They have no idea what they're walking into. Um, you know, and if you are accustomed to just agreeing with the teachers, thinking that they know best and the therapists and the principal or whoever's involved, you know, you can get railroaded a little bit. I hate to say it negative like that, but if you don't know what to ask for, you'll get exactly what you ask for, which is nothing. So I wish uh, yeah, more like Absolutely. You. <laughs> right. Well, and that's one of the lessons at the end of each chapter, I give like a three, two, one takeaway, three, yes. three lessons I learned, two takeaways moving forward and uh, you know any question or concern that I had moving forward so you will see throughout the book where I don't go into the meeting uh, by myself at times I bring an advocate I bring you know I have another set of eyes and you know a, a sort of a third party that can be a little more neutral and help us problem solve and, you know really an IP is about the spirit of collaboration it's not you against them. The teachers want to do, they want what's best for your child, but sometimes it takes having an outside party come in and go, what have you ever thought about this? And, and you're right about the asking of things that, that one of those earlier IEP meetings I, I write about, I brought an entourage. And I'm like, wow, you can ask for a nubby cushion for him to sit on. You can, <laughs> who, knew? who knew? And they had a whole laundry list, list of sensory items that would support my son and it, I learned a lot from each time I, that I brought an advocate to the meetings. Yeah, and it's smart because obviously you and your spouse are very passionate um, and, and emotionally tied to the situation. So maybe you don't see things from other perspectives as clearly. And, you know, and the teachers, like you said, and the therapists are trying to just do their very best to accommodate your child. And you have to work together because you know what, what will work and, and certain things that he absolutely would not you know, work for that are not good rewards, things like that, that they don't know. So, you know, and then having a therapist or a, a case manager for your Medicaid waiver or whatever the case may be um, chiming into as kind of the middleman. <laughs> right, yes. So I, I think that's so helpful. Um, I know that you had mentioned to me before that you um, started a blog and that you were, um, I know throughout the book, you mentioned the journaling that you did throughout most of Nick's childhood. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about that? And, and were those notes, what was instrumental in kind of compiling everything in your thoughts to writing your book? Sure. The, I, I've always kept a journal and that's sort of my sort of therapy for me just to kind of, you know, 
express what I was feeling at the time, you know, having a, a diagnosis of Down syndrome, all your developmental milestones are really delayed. They do hit them, but they take, take a long time <laughs> and a lot of therapy. And so there would be times when I was like, gosh, is my son ever going to walk? He didn't walk till he was like three and a half. And then he wasn't chewing textured foods up until that time. And those, those little moments I would have in the middle of the night, just jotting those down kind of probably got the book going. Mm -hmm. um, the, the blog came about, let's see, I started that in 2012. And I just started writing, you know, just my rants, my, you know, whatever Nick was up to. And so it's funny, um, because you, you write as well. When you read your earlier writing, sometimes I just cringe and go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I also took writing classes um, over the internet, this uh, writers on the net, and that really helped me to start formulating the stories, which became chapters, which 10 years later became the book. And your but blog I, is, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Your blog is called Down Syndrome with a Slice of Autism. Is that right? Right. Yes. And that, the blog is is probably more like the very end of the book. Mm -hmm where I give the, the final lessons, and those are all broken down into IEP tips, if you're going on vacation, if you, uh, you know, family dynamics, therapy, ABA, there's a whole, whole list of topics, and every single one of those topics I've been blogging about since 2012, so that's kind of a compilation of, of um, my, you know, my blogs since 2012. There were so many pearls in there at the end of the book when I was reading through all of those things, like you said, with traveling, things that you just don't think about until you're thrust into the situation and you're like, oh man, when you're on the plane or where, you know, already and you're like, I really wished I had thought of that. Um, it's a little too late now. Um, but, but yeah, that is one of the huge pearls of your book. And also, like you mentioned, each chapter having the takeaways. Um, you as a as a mom took from these situations but also it it pulls out the the message and um you know for for other readers who maybe haven't gotten to that point yet um that it can help them along the way <laughs> preemptively absolutely you know the the one of the reoccurring themes is that there's no way you could you could do this journey alone without finding the resources and the people to to help you navigate it smoother and so when I started writing this book, how many, 10 years ago, I was like, I got to, you know, I can't be the only one going through this. So I, that was my original intent. Just like, let me just tell the story unfiltered, you know, mm -hmm. all the pain points, you know, <laughs> elopement and toileting and, and hitting those milestones and meltdowns and puberty. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, you know, and I love the honesty that you portray on every page every story um as you know i text you like i was 25 pages in and i'm like i keep saying oh my god because every single thing you mentioned i also experienced and you know similar stories are in my book and it, it's just it's so comforting to find a family in whatever sick twisted way that is <laughs> that has been through so many of the hardships and the tough times and the laughter that we've experienced um, you mentioned in there a lot about um, some of the big challenges that you faced with Nick. Um, do you want to address some of those? I mean, obviously, fire alarms comes to mind and 
um, some toileting issues. <laughs> but if you want to talk about those or if you want to save it for people to read about, um, either way. Well, certainly, you know, having a dual diagnosis is a little more complicated because you do have the developmental milestones that are that were delayed. So those were initially the the challenges, just having low muscle tone means not just your arms and legs and not being able to get up and walk until you know two to three years old at least. And and same thing with the feeding issues, you know, the mouth muscles were not strong enough. So we had, you know, it was almost like a personal training for chewing and <laughs> the, the specialist that we found that was really um, knew her stuff and, and uh, had some great intervention techniques. So moving on to once we hit puberty, which I joke, kind of joke in the book, it's like of all the milestones that Nick took his time on, <laughs> puberty was not only on time, I think it was early. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's when we really noticed the, the, him struggling to communicate his needs because he did have the speech deficits as well. And so those, whenever you can't get your needs met, you know, obviously any of us are gonna get frustrated and it comes out in your behavior. Yep. And you know, really, you know, some, whatever behavioral meltdown is, is probably, you have to go back and see what that unmet un, uh, need is. And mm -hmm. so, once we got that secondary diagnosis, went back to the school and said, this is more than Down Center. We need, we need a behaviorist in here. And so her coming in, going in a few times and doing some observations, she's like, well, he's using this picture system, the PECS. However, you guys are not using it correctly with him. We could get so much more help for him. So when we got retrained in the PECS, he found that he had a voice. Those pictures were his voice. Mm -hmm. So once he had that communication piece, then we we looked at the, I, I like to call it the big three. <laughs> so addressing the speech and, and the communication, the secondly would be looking at the behavior plan or creating, a, I should say, creating a behavior plan. You know, what, what areas do we want to target? You know, is it toileting? Is it... Um, you know, tying in, getting him really much better with using the pictures or using an AAC device. So those are the first two. And then the third is, is a sensory component. And that is just implementing a sensory diet because you, you can't take that away from our guys that have a diagnosis of, of autism. And then the, the fourth one I'd like to add in is, is just getting, getting um, additional funding, uh, applying for funding so that you can get some in-home support and um, respite care. And sometimes you can get some equipment as well that can support your child. So those are the four areas. Once we got that in place, he really started turning the corner. But I will so, say, pu but I will say puberty was very hard, <laughs> even with all yeah. that. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's not even like it, the biggest aspect I think for us is just his size. You know, I, I'm not a very tall person and now he's taller than me um, and he's close to my weight. And so, you know, before I could pick him up or, you know, put him in the tub if, if we needed to bathe him or whatever. But now I just I can't. I mean, as many weights as I lift and everything that I do, I still am really not able to pick him up because he's taller than me and, you know, his feet drag on the ground when he's on my hip. So, um, 
it's quite a challenge when he becomes a man. So I'm not really sure how to take care of him. It, it's hard. And so I think that's where, you know, the, the visuals come into place. I, you know, having, having a dual diagnosis, what I found, at least for my son, is if he can see it in picture form, because he can't read words except for, you know, like logos, like important things like Taco Bell and <laughs> Culver's. <Yes. laughs> he knows those. <laughs> and so if I can lay it out in a picture form, whether it's a social story or a task strip, um, and if he can see it, he can follow it along like he's reading a book or reading, you know. So an individual who has autism that can read, you can do the same thing by writing it out, you know, almost like a to-do list. And then they can kind of follow their schedule that way. And that really, I, you know, I think, I think the pictures have such an impact, <laughs> has such an impact on our kids because it gives them a blueprint to know what, how they can navigate their day, what's coming up. Um, I think for all of us in general, you know, if you know what to expect, you're going to be calmer, your anxiety level is not going to be up, you know, up like it is right now as we're sheltered in place and we don't know you know when the line we got this movable line we don't know when the end's going to be and we could get out and so i think we're all kind of feeling that anxiousness but imagine if you had to live with that every day if you had autism and you didn't have a voice and you didn't have you know what's going on so that's, that's what i attribute to <clears throat> skylar's banging is um you know him not being able to communicate to us if he's hungry or tired or doesn't feel well or you know any of those things so we're reinstituting PECS slowly and we're gonna try again he never received the the apraxia diagnosis which I'm surprised and after talking to you and so many guests on the podcast you know that keeps coming up and so I'm starting over again I mean it's never too late to continue to try things again that you've tried before and PECS just did not work for us when he was younger iPads didn't work the Big Mac didn't work. Anything we have tried with communication didn't work. But now that he's older and his eye contact is better, I feel like it's worth trying again. Um, so I just, you know, last weekend took a whole bunch of pictures of his favorite foods, the actual picture of the item instead of a stick figure or whatever, because that doesn't, he doesn't understand that. Um, so I'm hopeful. <laughs> Your yes. book gave me hope to try again. That makes, that's, that's, Awesome. And yes, certainly you got to do whatever picture works. You know, when Nick was younger, I literally had a camera take back in the back in the old days, <laughs> take the pictures, take them to Walgreens, get them. And then I had a, had a, oh had a had yeah. one of those uh, teacher pocket boards and I would just, he had his Barney video, his Thomas video, you know, his, his uh, goldfish snacks juice box and and those were highly preferred items for him so it's always important to start with the those highly preferred items and let them realize that hey if i if i give you this picture you know this this has some meaning you're you're yeah. honoring that if you honor it you know within that's one of the things we weren't doing right he would bring us a picture and we're like yeah okay i'll get to it and it's like no you have to respect that <laughs> respect like right that, that second yes mm -hmm. yes they don't understand delay <laughs> They're quite moody little people, aren't they? <laughs> Demanding. Yes. Well, and you know, I, I spoke to the behavior component and there's, there's so many reasons, you know, behaviors can occur. And if you use that 
uh, an acronym EATS. I, I think I put it at the very end of the book, but you can figure out what the function of the behavior is, then you can either put something in its place to that might be more suitable or try to maybe cut something off of the past before things escalate into like a meltdown. So the E stands for E is escape. And so I always challenge my parents like, okay, so your child is, let's say third grade, he's pushing his desk back and he's getting frustrated. So, you know, what do, what do we think the reason is? So E might be, it might be an escape, an escape meaning maybe the task was too hard. Maybe we need to um, break it down into smaller pieces. Um, maybe the goal is not meaningful to them. So different reasons you would escape. Sometimes it could be a sensory thing. If it's, they go into the cafeteria and it's really loud and they cover their ears and they can't handle it. That That's their way of saying, I can't, you know, this is too much. <laughs> and so that, those are just some examples of escape. So that A is uh, attention seeking. Hmm. I don't have any of that ever, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, the T stands for tangible, and that's usually just them needing control over something. So tan, I don't know why it's called tangible, but that, just look at the need for control. And then the S is sensory. So. Again, my challenge to parents is always, you know, look at the function of, you know, why, what, why, why are they tapping? Why are they doing that? Are they trying to get your attention? They just need a sensory. Sometimes I think it could be a little, a little bit of both. So, mm -hmm. and then you can try to find ways to put things in place that, you know, either through a sensory diet, you know, build in some heavy work opportunities, some organizing, calming activities. Uh, Oh, occupational therapists are really good at, 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 you know, kind of helping parents create that sensory diet. In our um, OT, I think is going to be, she suggested actually um, revisiting speech again too. And I think they might do a joint session um, when Skyler has his OT sessions every week. Um, I think she was going to bring in her speech therapy partner and they can work with him together so that they can you know, kind of like you said, utilize some of the OT uh, fine motor functioning and, and tasks that they're asking him to do. And the speech therapist can help deliver the, the request, you know, and the, um, the ask of him to be able to do certain things and try to get him to understand what she's asking. Uh, I think that'd be hugely beneficial for us to have them work together. And then they're going to teach our ABA center exactly how they're doing it and so that they can carry that over. And then hopefully they all show us because I think the one disconnect, um, and, I, and I know you had therapists coming into your home um, quite a bit. I feel like between the ABA center and some of the outside therapies that he does also, the transition into home, like if they're asking a certain command of him um, or we're teaching him independent life skills at this point, brushing his own teeth, putting on deodorant by himself, getting dressed by himself, things like that. If they're saying, um, you know, handing him the toothbrush and saying, you know, brush the top or however they're phrasing it. I always want to be sure that my husband and I are saying it the exact same way because he is just a creature of, of, of repetition and habit. And he has to be asked the same way to understand if that makes sense. So did you guys kind of do that with Nick as well? Like, did you phrase everything the same so that he really understood the ask of him? A hundred percent. That's where that spirit of collaboration comes in play. You know, whether you sit in on a session or, 
maybe they record it so you know the, keeping that verbiage the same helps a lot it helps them you know and, and keeping it simple i think often as well you know mm-hmm. especially with potty training <laughs> I mean, yeah we started and stopped we've done intensive potty training, I can't even tell you the number of times over the last 17 years. Um, Well, that's not fair, really 15 years or so, but um, just nothing is sticking. So I'm really hoping that, you know, once we can get him to communicate, he can actually pull the picture of the toilet off of the board or whatever and hand it to us and let us know like, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. So (laughs) baby steps, (laughs) never too late, right? There you (laughs) go. Sometimes uh, Nick sometimes Nick just points at his bottom. I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, whatever works. Or for like at a restaurant, he'll just like I'm like, okay, I know. <laughs> oh. And he I can would... sign he can sign toilet as well. But yeah. Oh, that's good. But maybe mo- we try mo- that. More yeah, more than likely he's get, you just he's gonna lift up his <laughs> back in and just point to it like I gotta go. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You know, I just keep thinking though, gosh, if I wore a pull-up for 17 years, that's all I know. I mean, I don't know that he has a great desire to use the bathroom because why not? I mean, he can just go wherever he is and, you know, it's a hassle to go to the bathroom. So it's just reprogramming all those years of doing it the same way. Um, We're going to have to motivate him to want to at this point. So it's a little scary, (laughs) but we'll do it. I'm sure. Yeah. Just reread, um, reread that part of my book where I talk about the habit training, because that's, you know, it's, it's, that's really how, what, what made it a success for us. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, when it comes to toilet training, it has to be disciplined on the parent's part, on the school. And again, this is another example of everybody has to be on board hundred percent to, you know, if you're going to do a habit training schedule, you stick to it and cause it, 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 do, it does work. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. <laughs> but it is, not but for it is. <laughs> it's definitely one of my biggest accomplishments in my life getting him toilet trained because he, he pretty much got him at round 11, though the, the number one accidents occurred up until about 13, you know, before we got him totally 100%, 24-7 in underwear. So it, it was not easy, no. <laughs> But it's still a huge accomplishment. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd sing it from the rooftops for sure. <laughs> um, I want to kind of move more into your, just your family dynamic. I know that um, Nick has an older brother, Hank, who is um, going to be 28 soon. Um, yes. what, what was their relationship like as kids? I mean, we, I talked to a lot of families and, you know, a lot of people say this kind of the same thing that, obviously there goes through stages of their growth. You know, when they're little, they play together, like it's not a big deal at all. And then maybe in teenage years, they just annoy each other like typical siblings. And then, you know, as adults, I'm just curious what their relationship evolved into now that they're adults or if it's always been close. Right. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Teen years, you know, he's annoying, he's embarrassing, but at this, <laughs> he's loud. And, you know, I tried not to ever, I tried to keep it in a good balance to where, you know, Hank could have his time to do his thing and, and not rely on him to, you know, watch his brother, babysit his brother all the time. He, since then, it's evolved to, uh, his his brother lives in the city, and so but he 
I mean, we FaceTime a lot when he comes to visit. I mean, you know, like I said, Nick doesn't know a lot of words. I mean, but he can say his brother. Well, he can't say the H. He goes ink, 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 ink. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really sweet. And uh, Hank, I would say it, it's, it's, it's interesting because Hank brings out this good, really neat side of Nick where Nick is very compliant with his brother. Like he looks up to him. I think Aww. that's how I would say it. I know it's sweet. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> you're in that teen part right now <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> yes it's a joy oh <laughs> uh, well now when um when he was when nick was in school and i know he was um in inclusion um all through school right um public school system was he in the same school as hank uh nick was in inclusion up until fifth grade and then oh up until fifth grade okay right. and then the they did uh, school district redistricting. That doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they yes. added a they added a third high school, and so um, Hank was already in the high school that um, was closer to us. But they ended up uh, all the people in our subdivision that were set to go to high school were going to this other one. So that actually, I kind of think worked out better. Yeah, I wondered how that was with if yeah. the two of them were in the same school and if you know that kind of was a hardship for Hank a little bit that everybody knew who his brother was and you know pulling fire alarms or whatever <laughs> that was my brother <laughs> that be your brother that's me oh no, oh yeah they well that was when he was in elementary school and Hank comes running out mom we had two fire drills today I'm like that be your brother <laughs> but, but I, I actually think that made him kind of popular because like you know yeah we the kids out of school <laughs> Thanks. You thank your brother for us. <laughs> High five. Yes. I know that's not something to joke about for everybody that is like, oh my gosh, that's serious. We know it's, and she addresses it in the book, yes, that it's, it's a serious issue. But, you know, sometimes obviously when we have kids with special needs, we can't always be there right every second. And they're little, they're, they're crafty little people and they uh, find yes. a way. Crafty indeed. Yes, we we have it in his IEP all, all through the years. Carefully monitor Nick around fire alarms and get the fire alarms covered. And but he's just he's super fast. And you know, I, I always joke about the the gifts that Nick has given all his teachers and aides all through the years is good reflexes because you gotta <laughs> you gotta know where those things are and put your body between them because otherwise he'll get you every time if you let him. Well, and as serious as it is, I mean, it makes so much sense, though, because he loves, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, another like fetish, I guess, or like strong need of his was to push car, car um, remotes and to push the panic button on the car remotes or the whatever it is, the little red button, because the horns, the noise, the flashing lights, the all the same things that you get from a fire truck. I mean, I imagine the very first time he ever pulled one. And the response that comes from it with the loud fire trucks and the lights and the just the whole, you know, spectacle of it all, he probably was like, Yes, this is amazing. So I mean I mean, yeah. yeah, it's the ultimate. He, you know, go back to that eat. No, that's that's Uber attention seeking. It's Uber sensory. <laughs> it's definitely a tangible, it's something he's got control over. You know, some I'm not sure behavior wise with your son, but just around the house, sometimes he'll get in these moods where I'm like, I'm just going to run upstairs and run all the faucets full blast. And 
push the microwave uh, fan button and push the phone intercom button because you know I can get I can get your attention that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but then again, I kind of think it's a little bit of a sensory thing too. I know a lot of kids also like slam a lot of doors. That's what Skylar does. Yeah, and I think that's something that they feel like, hey, I've for a moment here, I've got control over something. That's kind of my hypothesis on on that. Yeah, he's always been the opposite where um, a lot of our friends um, with kids on the spectrum, you know, have their headphones on and stuff and they don't like crowds and loud noises and popping balloons and stuff. Skylar is the loud noise that <laughs> the kids are like wanting to put headphones on because I mean, he will, if we don't block it off, he will open the microwave door, slam it open and closed a thousand times and you know, open and close drawers, which they all have childproof like latches on them. So he can't get them all the way open. So that just makes him, you know, frantically open, 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 <laughs> like trying to slam them, but he can't. <laughs> so then he moves on to something else. And he just looks at us the entire time. Like, are you going to come over here and stop this? Or if not, I'm going to move on to the next thing until you come over here. So, you know, we either tolerate the noise or we, you know, just childproof everything and block him so he can't do right. anything. <laughs> pick, yeah, pick your battles, and uh -huh. and you know I'm I'm constantly constantly looking for replacement behaviors that might satisfy whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do is just have Nick. Uh, I keep a little, just a small little basket on the on the kitchen counter where we put like um, recyclable things we're going to recycle, and so he takes that out in the afternoon and that's his appropriate throwing and he can be as loud as he wants throw that <laughs> throw that bottle in there or whatever it is yeah that <laughs> you know whatever LaCroix can mm -hmm. my husband drinks us a lot and and but that you know and then same thing he likes he likes the noise so I just put him on vacuum duty and he and that gives him some heavy work that you know hopefully gets him more on an even keel as far as just calming you know I, I think the heavy work really helps him and schlepping the laundry baskets up and down the stair and, and loading the laundry. Go ahead and throw that laundry in there hard if you want. It's, fine. <laughs> it's good. It teaches him chores too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you had mentioned um, just a second ago, just about your husband. Um, and I wanted to just ask you, you know, I get a lot of questions about marriages and just, I mean, this obviously you know, just maintaining a marriage is tough anyway. And then you throw in a special needs child who needs a lot of attention from both of you and has a lot of extra that goes into it. Um, it's, it's really hard to not either, you know, have feelings towards your spouse, maybe not contributing as much or just resentment towards each other. It's, it's hard to be positive and to, to laugh and to just hang in there with each other throughout. And you guys have done obviously a, a fantastic job of that. I'm sure there have been things up and down, you know, along the way. But um, how did you manage, especially when Nick was younger and you had a very, very heavy schedule um, as a fitness instructor, teaching a ton of classes? I don't know how you did all that. Um, and your husband worked full time, and Nick had all of his therapies, and Hank had his things. How did you guys divide and conquer and and maintain such a uh, you know, a strong marriage all this time? I would say we just tried to, to strike a balance and respect that all of us, even Hank, you know, the three of us need, need our own time to do that, which feeds your soul. So for me, 
it was, I mean, just feeling normal, you know, teaching my fitness classes makes me feel that's part of who I am. I've done it for 35 years plus. And and I need that. I need that social component. I need just, you know, to, to hold on to that part of myself. And then for my husband, he's a big tennis player and likes his golf. So, you know, we just sort of take turns like a Saturday, he's going to golf as soon as he gets home. Sometimes it's hand the baton. I'm going to go run out to Starbucks and, you know, go to Kohl's. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, other things I like to do, I love gardening. So, you know, we just sort of tra- do a lot of team tag, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to work. Now the respite care piece that I mentioned, that is huge. I mean, that saves us, that allows us to, to be able to both do whatever we want to do, but also do some things together and, you know, have a date night, go out with friends and do those things that, you know, you keep you connected as a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you had mentioned too in the book, and I keep referencing the book, but um, there was That's just okay. so much great intel in there. Um, but you had mentioned the, um, I guess it was a camp that um, for kids with dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism and that you met so many amazing families um, and other couples that obviously had a child with a dual diagnosis as well. And you guys really bonded with them and sharing stories that only you could relate to before um, because you hadn't met anyone with a similar setup that you guys had. Um, Do you think that that gave you another outlet for for your husband, maybe even to, to identify with other husbands in the group that you guys were all going through something similar and you could, you could talk so openly to each other. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. What, it, it wasn't a camp. It was a, a retreat. Okay. And I mean, it, you know, like a, a weekend retreat where they had respite workers watch the kids and the kids would do music therapy and swimming and they would have their own one-on-one aid watching them. So we could address topics with other parents, do some idea sharing, do some, you know, just some venting, like, as I wrote, uh, I say, the first time we went, it's like, oh, my God, everybody has a haircut nightmare story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody has a, a code brown story. Yes. <laughs> a poop casso, we also like to call it there. And everybody has, not everybody, but most, most has had an elopement story, something scary where they, you know, their kid took off running. And so it was very cathartic to be able to go, gosh, these people get it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, before we met this group, we would just go to the Down syndrome support meetings and activities. And it was like, eh, I didn't, we didn't feel like we fit in. And then autism support groups, well, you know, our, our son's got extra, he's got a little extra. <laughs> yeah. And so I, we didn't feel like we fit in there. So it's, it really helped us to to find these like-minded families and and go you know and we're still friends with we still go uh, go out with uh, this one couple or actually two couples sometimes we sometimes we're, we're both White Sox fans so uh, we've been able to go this year <laughs> Chicago, Chicago White Sox so get together and uh, and and you know just kind of commiserate yeah but that, I mean, that that's... helps a lot. That's so important. I just, you know, I wish we had even autism support groups 
locally for for us there just really isn't a whole lot and um i've kind of found myself always at the at the wrong place and at the wrong time um you know when i first when he first got his diagnosis there was a few things that started up um and he was at that age but i was so overwhelmed that i didn't really everything was just coming at me and like you know, you need to trust and you need to try this therapy, you need to do this and that. And I was just overwhelmed. And now that he's a, you know, older teenager, there's really not any people that can relate totally to our situation and the severity of him. So, um, you know, I would really, I've met like you, so many people that I just wish we all lived closer so that we could sit around and, you know, commiserate with each other sometimes, <laughs> our own little support group, I guess. <laughs> so that's great that you found that it is and you know it, it is also nice that there are some online groups that that get you know they they get some of the more severe issues you know challenges that we have and uh, i was trying to think of one i was listening to the other day they've been doing them on like saturday night i'm forgetting i want to say it's finding cooper's voice i could be wrong yep yep okay Kate, she's fabulous yes. So she had a dad roundup the other night, which was kind of I watched fun. it. Yeah, yeah, that was so. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that happen for for those of us who do, you know, have a little extra going on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and I'm hoping. I mean, she and I have communicated, so hopefully, you know, we can I can um, address that with her too, and you know, just do more of it and tell her how much it it really helps. So, yeah, that'd be great. I just love that. You know, um, there are so many bloggers and podcasters and so much now that there wasn't back when our kids were diagnosed. Um, and it's just great that there's so much conversation now for special needs families to go to, um, it, you know, to just to talk to, and you can find someone who pretty much matches your scenario. Um, if you look hard enough, that there's probably people who mirror exactly what your diagnosis and what you're going through. So that's nice. I wish we had that years ago. Yes, but it, it's it's good to see again now that everybody's getting more comfortable being you know communicating virtually. I think we're going to see even more of that and and you know, like I said, I I like I like keeping it real and and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that's it's nice to know you're not alone. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I know Nick is 26 now, and um, I'm sure he's spending his days doing a lot of great things with you guys I, I saw your video the other day of him putting the dishes away which is awesome <laughs> it's nice to have a little built-in helper um, did you notice he was kind of putting him in louder <laughs> <laughs> when he knew it was being taped <laughs> oh i think it was just you know at the end of the day just just a little sensory seeking there <laughs> at least he was putting them away i guess there you go not throwing them away like a friend of mine had that situation uh they had to eat off paper plates for a while because their daughter oh. didn't understand <laughs> that oh, we're not no. supposed to throw the dishes away after you eat off of them um <laughs> but what what are your hopes for the future for for all of you um you know are you your husband um is he able to retire are you guys able to kind of do your own thing with nick you know tagging along maybe or will he be independent you think in any way um yeah good questions he right now he is, well, since he aged out at 22, he's been going to an adult developmental day program. Mm -hmm. And if you check the blog, read the blog, you'll see, well, not lately, but you, you can see kind of all the, the activities that they do. It's got a lot of structure. It That's has, great. 
you know, it's got a lot of the visuals and the schedules. So he, you know, knows what's expected. And they, you know, they do pretty much much of what he did in high school, as far as have learning centers. They take a, a trip to the store once a week. They have a cooking unit. They have jobs around the building. Some, some, some have paying jobs. Nick does not really have a paying job in high school and in post-secondary transition. He did have a few jobs that he, but he did have also have a one-on-one aide at the time. Now, when you, one of the things I caution families is that when you get into situations like a day program, you may not, the, the ratios may be a little more, they're not going to be that favorable. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, that's, you know, that's one drawback, but at, at the same time, it's like, you know, he loves the program. How do I know he loves it? If, if he, his words are little, you know, his speech is not um, conducive to telling me. He shows me by packing his lunch and, and setting it in the into the backpack and putting it by the front door. So, oh. so that make that makes me know that he loves that program. And then um, sometimes if I, I usually do a car share with this, another client. But if I take him in the morning, as soon as we cross over the Fox River, he's like, Keeler, Keeler, Keeler. <laughs> That's the name of the program. And he's got double thumbs up and he's super stoked. So he's between that and his respite workers who take him out to the movies, they take him to the park, they go out to eat. And he's, he's, he's definitely living his best life for the, <laughs> so a um, couple of years from now, I'm not sure how many, but we'll look at the retirement and decide if we're going to stay up here or if we're going to move, you know, where it's warmer. We haven't. Yeah. No more snow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great for Nick. I mean, those are the things that you hope you, you just hope that your kid is, you know, or your young adult is smiling and thrilled about what he's doing each day and that he's motivated to, to, to live his best life and to have a great day. Um, you know, my biggest fear is Skylar sitting around, you know, just at home and we're entertaining him the best that we know how. And I don't want him to live a life like that. That's no fun. So it sounds like that day program is is great. And I hope that there's more of those that pop up everywhere because I'm not aware of anything like that around here. Um, I need to do a little bit more research as we're getting close to that age. But um yeah, hopefully yeah. your your vocational director should be able to at school should be able to that's that's um where we we uh they reached out to us and we did like field trips to different you know several different programs to see which one might be the best fit. It's all, it was almost like Goldilocks, you know, one was mm -hmm. they were higher needs, one was like oh they're sitting around just playing with macaroni noodles like he used to do picking things out like <laughs> like he did when he was three years old so we found the one that was just right and he like I said he he loves it there and so for now you know until we decide where we're going to move for retirement he's going to remain with us and but you know we'll see I I know we have to have that discussion about a group home as we you know start to get get older in age I'm just not ready to go there yet. Yeah, I don't know that we're ever ready for that conversation. Well, well he he's a lot of fun. I mean, he's he you know he he you know my husband actually usually travels quite a bit for work. So it's you know if he was on his work schedule, Nick was in a day or was in a group home, I would be an empty nester. So you know I'm not sure I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. But 
probably it's too much fun for that right now. <laughs> His smile is is definitely <laughs> contagious. So he'd be fun to have around. <laughs> Keeps me on my toes. <laughs> I bet he does. I bet he does. <laughs> well, I, I again, congratulations on the success of your book. Um, it's already reviewed very highly on Amazon. I will link up um, the links to Amazon to how it can be purchased. Um, again, it's called A New Course um, and uh, has a, a great picture of Nick on the cover. And then your, um, I will also link up your social media handles, which is also your blog um, title, Down Syndrome with a Slice of Autism. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing a little bit of your story. And uh, your book is great. So thanks for, for putting that out there also. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And, and you know, if I could just leave any, parent, any parents and teachers also, this, this little nugget of wisdom, it's like, you know, find those strengths that your child has and just lead with those strengths. And, you know, the little thing like Nick being able to be good at matching when he was young ended up becoming a job later on and still in-house jobs, both at his day program and at home. Um, you know, the, the matching component that he's so good at that, you know, I just play upon that. It's like, okay, <laughs> what else can we do to have you, you know, and give him meaning and purpose in life? And I think now that he is 26, I, I feel at peace with that I've been able to do as much as I can. And I've let go of the guilt of, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I mean, you only can do um, as much as you know at the time, but certainly finding those resources and those people, those angels that light the path will help, you know, make the best journey for your child as possible. That's a wonderful way to end. And I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. You've done a lot and you have constantly pushed him, which is, is great. That's what he needs. You know, they never stop learning. They never stop growing and neither do we. We Absolutely. learn a lot from them. <laughs> so absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much and i wish you all the best success with your book and everything that you've got going on and tell nick we all say hello i will <laughs> and and all my best to you as well and your and your book upcoming book i'm so excited i can't wait to read it thanks teresa okay take care take care okay, okay. bye-bye bye. i hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>